Jason Wygant here, your host inside the plush, well-lit, and now re-engineered Racer X offices in Morgantown, West Virginia. We actually did put a Racer X podcast show together last week, and it was about testing. And ironically enough, we had not done enough testing of our own, apparently, on our sound equipment, and the audio didn't sound good at all. So what we did was more testing, and now we can have another show about testing that will sound much better. So now you can learn all about this mythical thing that everyone talks about, testing. Now we'll actually have a little bit of insight as to what actually goes on when they do it. And we have the perfect subject for this with Doug Dubach. He'll be our guest today. Now, Doug was a factory Yamaha rider, won the 1991 San Jose Supercross. And then after his factory riding days were over, he never really retired. He just slipped into a role with uh, research and development with Yamaha. So that basically means he's been making motorcycles work better for about 30 years now. Probably he's logged more motocross laps on a motocross bike than anyone else in the world. So what better guy to have on the show? Plus, he's pretty cool, pretty fun, and usually offers up some pretty neat little stories. I'm not sure if Yamaha's down with that, but we certainly are. And we, of course, have help from our own racer expert, and that is David Pingree. So let's ask Ping. Ping, are you there? Hello, Jason Wygant. Now, hopefully there have not been uh, any drugs or anything done between when we did the show and messed it up the first time and now. So this should be very familiar. We're talking about testing motorcycles today. Yes, I've been drug-free. I remember exactly what we were talking about. So let's just deja vu it and do it again. We're going to call Doug Dubach here in a second, who is probably the world's foremost expert on testing. But come on, you're no slouch yourself. You run a race team, and you had to do some testing in your racing days. Let's talk quick about testing, which everyone hears about, but I don't think a lot of people really know much about it. How does it even work? Well, kind of what we're going to try to accomplish with this um, with this show is to cover the two basic types of testing that go on. One is race team testing, yep. um, developing race bikes, special parts um, to take a production bike and make it even better. Yep. Um, that's one side of it. The other side is what we're going to talk to Dubok about, and that's production testing. Uh, developing new bikes for upcoming model years. Um, that's something that Doug has been very, very involved with at Yamaha. Um, he actually helped develop the very first four-stroke, Doug Henry's bike. So he's been involved um, with Yamaha for years and has a lot of knowledge about that. And basically, when, you, when you're talking about testing, it's, it's everything. I mean, the smallest little parts you wouldn't think make a difference. Um, all of that stuff has to be endurance tested. If it's a production uh, piece, if it's for race team purposes, you know, you're looking for just slight improvements because at some point this gets to be a game of inches and you're just trying to make that rider more comfortable. Uh, even if it is just slight improvement, any improvement helps. Now, how knowledgeable are the riders when it comes to testing, especially on your team, because you got guys that are probably relatively new to it. So just talk about, um, I guess, teaching riders to test. Do they even know how to do it? No, not, not very well. I mean, as an amateur, you don't, you don't get to test that much. You know, Typically, um, you kind of get sent your parts, you bolt them on, and, you know, at, at least that's how it was for me. You know, I, I, my dad would turn some clickers, and he would putz with the jetting a little bit, and it was like that was pretty much it. Um, so when you get a young kid, and, and, and most of the guys I've had are the same way, it's, some of them know exactly what they want it to feel like, and they, but they may, might not be able to explain to you how to get there. Right. Um, other guys are just clueless. So it's like, I don't know, just what does it look like, you know, and you have to kind of hold their hand and walk them through it and um, get it to where it looks good, and then typically that feels good for them too. So uh, thankfully, you know, I've, I've had some good guys involved with our team, the guys at Pro Circuit help us a ton, because I think Bones is one of the best suspension guys there is. Sure. So he can watch, and um, that's something that I think his biggest advantage is being able to just watch it and go, ah, it's, you know, it needs a little more uh, rebound dampening, it's a little too soft, it's doing this, but he can watch it and see what it's doing. Even if the rider goes, I don't know, 
I don't know what it's doing. I just I don't like it. What about the what about the the one thing that affects another? You know, I know that like riders use tires is actually an extension of suspension, or the chassis is an extension of suspension, or or the way the chassis works might affect the way the bike hooks up more than the motor. How do you separate all that stuff? We, we it's hard. Yeah. You know, even even an engine. You know, we'll, if you go out and get your suspension work and just ride on a stock engine. Mm-hmm. Then you throw your race motor in. It's it's a different animal, you know. You got yeah. things working differently, so it's uh, everything kind of affects the other. And um, you know, tires are a big issue. We had uh, one of our mechanics now came from KTM, mm-hmm. and we had one of these uh, tires. He's like, "Oh, I'm not running that thing. That thing stinks." You know, we we tested forever at KTM. Thought we had fork problems. Yep. And all we ended up doing after days and days of testing was changing this tire, getting rid of this tire, and the bike was better. So he was really hesitant to try it, but yep. on our bike, on the Honda, it worked great. You know, when he finally went to it, his rider was like, oh, I love that tire. So How crazy is that? Even the same exact tire will work differently on different bikes. It's so that's why it's important to test. You can't just go, well, that guy's running that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run it. That must be good. Um, everyone's style is different. You know, everybody likes a little bit different feel, and, and some things don't feel the same on different bikes. Wow. All right, let's call Dubak here and uh, get some insight. We've taken up enough of his time already, so I'll try to get to him as quick as I can. So stay on the line, sir. All right, we are joined by Dr. D. Doug Dubak's joined us. Got Ping and Weege and uh, Doug Dubak here. And, Doug, the reason we called you is because everyone in the industry figures that you've probably logged more laps on dirt bikes maybe than anyone else in the world. So you've got to be an expert on testing. Do you have any idea what the total of laps might even be? Uh, you know, it's funny. Mike Healy, you probably remember Mike Healy. He yep. used to remind me of that every time. He said, you should keep a logbook every time I'd see him out at a local track. So yeah, it's funny you're not the first to say that. But uh, it's plenty, I'm sure. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I hate to even think of the number because then my back would start hurting. Yeah, well, the thing is, I mean, you never, you've never actually retired even from racing, and, and then obviously let alone development and testing. How are you not burnt out on riding motorcycles? <laughs> Well, you know, that is a very good question, and I had a guy ask me that yesterday. How is it you find the motivation? You know, I was out pounding some motos, doing a little testing, and kind of getting ready for the next thing coming down the pike, and I don't know. I don't have a clear answer. You know, I kind of dabbled around to give him an answer, and, you know, some of it is I got some great young kids that are top athletes in the sports they do, and, you know, they motivate me, and, you know, they'll come to my races, and it's just... I have a pretty good life, I guess, uh, just to sum it up, that it's uh, it all just part and parcel of getting work done here at DRD and, you know, getting out there and staying in shape and just all of that. It's, uh, I, I don't usually struggle to find the motivation to go riding, I guess, and maybe I just have the sickness. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ping, man, when you were a racer... I- I always hear the racers say that testing is not usually the most fun part of it. So, so talk about that aspect, Ping. Yeah, you know, for me, it was it was a grind. You know, it's, it's not something you go, oh yes, I'm going. I get to go testing today. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if you have a good day testing, you're pumped. You know, you, if you can make improvements and get yourself more comfortable on the bike, and and some days you don't. You know, some days you come away and you you didn't make you left with the same setup you came with, but. Um, on those days where you, you find something that works so much better and your lap time drops or you just feel better, you're like, man, that was so awesome out there today, you know. So it's, it's a super important part um, for a racer and uh, for a guy like Doug who's been a racer and also gotten into the production side of things, you know, it's also huge for a manufacturer. They're relying on him <laughs> to develop bikes that they're going to sell down the road. So it's uh, while it's not always a blast, it's super critical. Well, Doug, how do you uh, how did you originally get into this? I mean, what was your background that makes you maybe a little more willing, or have more fun, or maybe just more effective at testing? Well, I guess the, the one thing I can point my finger at is I've always been a you know kind of a garage guy. A, a, tuner tweaker guy my dad was a drag racer all growing up and mm-hmm. you know I, I always thought i was going to have something to do in that industry but just from a young age i i knew just you know welding and and 
pistons and cams and I mean, you just name it. I it was just in my blood because that's what I grew up from. You know, the age I could stand upright, I had a wrench in my hand. So I think a lot of that early experience. You know, I always joked that I don't know how I ever became a you know a successful racer because often the technical guys don't succeed in the you know just the wide open life of racing. But somehow I managed to marry those two, and so I think that's what opened a lot of doors for me when in the early days of my support and getting my foot in that door and helping regardless of what it was with just testing that day for that guy or you know once i started getting a little exposure and my foot in the door at the factories it really exploded from there they're always asking me you know like the testing guys would fight with keith mccarty my boss because they always wanted me out helping <laughs> on the production side and, and keith's going no i need him to come and race you know you can't burn him out all week and so i just it's got to be that that deep knowledge of what a mechanical thing works like and then being you know able to ride the bike at a, a good speed and and every speed in between because you know production is not always about the fastest uh, lap time to make it good for the customer. So, you know, just having a, a big understanding, I think, certainly been a key. Yeah, so you've kind of made the transition. I mean, at one point you were a racer on the factory team, and then uh, just talk about the transition you made now where you're really still involved at Yamaha, but I guess a lot more for the production bikes than the race bikes. Well, yeah, and like I say, when it exploded for me was once my racing years were winding down, all of a sudden... I was on an airplane every few weeks going to Japan, and I really started to see the working life on the other side of the racing, and it was exciting for me because I loved that all along, and maybe that's the sickness that keeps me going day in and day out today is I am a very tinkery sort of hands-on guy, and I love being a part of all that, and when I can sit in these meetings and learn all this technology and watch the testing methods and the data acquisition, all these exciting things to me, I mean, it was just, I was like a kid in a candy store, so I grueled out those days. I mean, as Ping alluded to, you could have long days. You know, you get these joint tests with some European staff and YMC for, for Yamaha's parent company, a lot of Japanese guys. And, you know, the sun comes up pretty early and goes down pretty late in California in the summertime. So you, you can really put in some hours. So, And you kind of get used to that. That's what becomes your new life is putting in long, grueling days. So you know, nowadays, I've kind of shortened those up, but not by a lot. And <laughs> those are just some of the things that uh, really took me to that whole other level. And I can verify that Doug's a hands-on guy, because a few times I've been into to, uh, his shop there, Dr. D Racing, I'm expecting, oh, he's probably up front in a desk, you know, a white shirt on, buttoned up, making <laughs> phone calls and stuff. And he's out back with, like, <laughs> just, you know, work gloves, grinding on an exhaust system, putting it together. I'm like, dude, don't hire somebody to do this. What are you doing? <laughs> just yeah. they're getting into it. So <laughs> that's cool to see. Um, how how hard is it, basically, to figure out what is going on in the motorcycle? I asked Ping earlier on the show here. I mean, there's some riders, do they not even really even understand it? I'm, I mean, most people just go out and ride dirt bikes or ride motorcycles. How hard is it to really start pinpointing what the bike is doing? Well, you know, that is a great question, and I think it comes in many levels. You've got guys that are, like I say, just truly fast and, and nothing to you know, take away from their speed ability, but they don't have a great understanding of what's going on. They, Oh, it's too soft when it's actually too hard, and, you know, it's not a... Uh, or it is an easy kind of trap to get sucked into. You're not understanding what's happening there, but it's... It just takes that, I guess, you know, that original understanding, plus a lot of years, you, you learn techniques along the way. I can remember first testing tires. It kind of scratched my head a little bit, but, you know, after several weeks and years of testing tires, I know right what they're looking for, and I know right what to feel because I put all those laps in, and I know later, oh, that's a, you know, you, we've crossed the pattern of the cord internally by three degrees, you know, and you start <laughs> to understand, okay, well, that's what that feels like, and this is what this feels like, and so you you really need to isolate and, and understand what it is you're testing, for one, where a lot of guys just go, is the bike working good, or is it not working good, and they, they have a such a uh, kind of a general understanding, it's really hard to start picking out those key areas that might uh, be keeping the bike away from a winning combination. Yeah, well, well how do you... It's go tough ahead, in Big. motocross, too, Weege, because 
<laughs> if you're testing at a car track or something and, and they're throwing on different tires, different parts, you can hit the same line <clears throat> over and over. It doesn't change, but on a motocross track, you know, if you, you go out and you do some laps and you get a feel for what the bike's doing, you come in, and maybe it takes them 20 or 30 minutes to change something, you go back out. I mean, if it's an open practice day, the, the track's totally different when you go back out. So you're not hitting yeah. the exact same bumps. And it's like it's constantly changing dynamically. So that makes it, that throws in another curve to the test rider. They've got to adapt to that too and be like, okay, well, it feels better here, but this line's gotten better. You know, it, it's hard. It, it's definitely And, a, and Ping, you, you touched skill. on a huge component, and that is why often the factories you know, for the OEM testing, rent the track. You know, often we're hiding something new that we don't want anyone to see, but being able to control the environment is huge, you know, and, and trying to keep, you know, Carlsbad was always the most challenging place to go. It's greasy, slimy for the first hour, tacky and good for the second hour, and then just baked and, and a waste of time for the next <laughs> four or five hours you're there. So it's very challenging to do that where you, you've got two or three hours. I mean, times where you're, the guy's got the engine out and he's changing the whole crankshaft, you know, the five grams of weight, and that's extreme. You know, it's often more than that. But, you know, some subtle change, and then finally two and a half hours later you get back on the bike, and, and yeah, you, you do face a lot of those really uh, compromising situations. Well, what about the rider himself? I mean, the rider's not a robot either. Can't you get tired? Can't there be days where you're just feeling a little off? How do you separate that? Well, you know, again, another good point where that's, I think, where a lot of guys struggle. And I think Ping alluded to it. I've talked to him before where he says, yeah, he, he might as well just put the bike in the truck and shut the doors once you can see that rider starting to fall off. So that is part of what having a good deep background you know for a test rider like you know myself you know there's a lot of guys for key companies out there that it is key that we're staying fit and always on the bike because we're able to go you know into that seventh eighth ninth hour of the day and try and keep consistent feedback and consistent lap times and you know you learn the little secrets you know you don't go out at 100 percent on any test day or, or you're just going to find yourself you know dragging butt at the end so what about just being, uh, in that case, you have to, I guess, be honest and, and say that you're tired and say, I don't really know. I mean, it's not like, uh, it's like you're going to an eye exam and you have to tell them what you really can and can't see. You're not trying to impress anybody. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, there are so many elements, and you guys are hitting on a lot of the great ones. That honesty of a test rider is a very, very important thing because if you go out and you don't feel anything, you have to come back in and have that honesty, even if you got five engineers standing there with their hardest work and they've just changed some part, and you go, that's no different than the last one. But, you know, after they get done throwing chopsticks at you and, and <laughs> you know, not inviting you to dinner, uh, they start to learn to have a respect for you, that they know you're not going to pull punches and you are going to tell them really how it is, and then, you know, that will pave the way for a lot of years of, you know, hanging on to that job, which is, you know, apparently I must have said the right thing enough times because I've been there for 25 years now. <laughs> or the wrong thing. They didn't want to hear, but the truth, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's happened many times. I could tell you some some angry Japanese stories. <laughs> uh, Ping, does it happen? I mean, do you test guys in testing where you say you change something and you actually don't, or, or vice versa, just to kind of see where they really are? You know, I, I'm not a fan of doing that. Mm -hmm. I won't. I won't do that to guys. Like if I change something, I tell them I make it made a change um, because I had Bones do that to me a few times. Mm -hmm. Where he'd grab a screwdriver and we're chasing something with suspension, and he'd <clears throat> turn some clickers in, turn them out. I'm not counting. I yeah, you make the change. I'm like see, see what that does. I go out and do a couple laps. I'm like, yeah, I think that was better. You know, and he's like, I didn't change anything. <laughs> yeah, dang it, <laughs> do it. You know, like. And, and, you know, maybe those couple of laughs, it wasn't like I was lying to them. I might have just felt good. I hit the lines good, whatever. You know, that's part of that dynamic thing about it. But, like, I just hated that. It's like, why are you messing with me? You know, I'm help me out here. Yeah. Yeah, so, I got enough on my mind. Don't be jacking with me. Yeah. Right. And this is typically at the end of the day. I'm fried. I just want to lay down in the dirt and take a nap anyway. <laughs> um. Now, there's so many different parts of it, Doug. Have you figured out certain ways, like, if you're going... 
I would assume frames, especially with aluminum frames came in and the Honda had one that was too rigid and they're backing them down. I mean, you have to be able to separate all that. Uh, that's To me, that would be the hardest thing of all because everything affects everything else. Yeah, and that is a, a, a tall order when you're getting into those early testing stages where it's a, you know, the good thing of usually early testing stages is you have a back-to-back bike right there, and that is you have it in every case. You've always got either the previous year or a different color model that you're targeting a certain area. So there, you know, you're not just out there on your own little desert island, but you've definitely got your hands full when they're starting to change you know, the diameter of a case bolt or you know the thickness of an engine mount plate and some things like that. You, you do really have to be switched on. You've got to find the environment that's going to allow you to test it. You know, If you've got some jump landing at an angle and some bumps or something you have a complaint about, you've got to be able to, once you've invited all these guys over, to be able to repeat that. You know, If you send a report that says, hey, we're struggling here, You've got to be able to get back to that place and really provide good test data for them. So, you know, it it is always a challenge, but through the years, you know, they've gotten better with, you know, strain gauges on frames and things that these engineers go back and they do a lot of their work and then we come back as more of a A is better than B, but the good guys are the ones that can tell you why A is better than B. You know, I'm getting a little kind of you know, harsh feeling here or some wallow, you know, if a chassis is just too loose and, and not rigid enough. And, you know, to be able to communicate that back and then this guy tie it to his data, then, you know, you really start to make some headway. But, yeah, uh, the early years of aluminum frame testing were long and treacherous. Man, and how far out uh, do you go on that stuff? I mean, how far in advance are you seeing stuff? And then how do you manage to not have people get you drunk at the bar and start talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of, it depends on the project itself. itself. If it's a whole new thing, like original YZ400, you know, we had that two and a half years ahead of production. And we were riding that thing, and luckily we had Doug Henry's project, the factory bike, kind of in there soon after so everyone that would try and get you drunk in a bar you just said yeah it's doug henry's that was my canned answer it's doug henry's work spike (laughs) but you know some other projects where it's just maybe some engine spec or something from model year to model year those are they tighten those up a lot of that gets done you know 12 18 months ahead of time but yeah we're always a fair ways ahead but most of my friends just stop asking after a while because <laughs> i got very good with my canned answers and they're like yeah, all right never mind i heard that one when i asked you the other time you said the same thing right yeah, well, I-, I was impressed that you guys were able to keep a lid on the the 2010 450 you know as different as that is it's not like you can show up at a, a local track out here and and keep it disguised you know by throwing some old plastics on it or something i mean that thing is very distinct i mean I didn't hear a word of that until it was time, you know, you guys are ready to release it. Yeah, that was, you know, we, they do get pretty creative with their disguising methods. We had a lot of old plastic on that bike, you know, looked like our 09 radiator shrouds, and we had a kind of a mock-up airbox where there is no airbox, obviously, we all now know about uh. that bike. So, yeah, we did do some pretty creative disguising with that, but, again, you're always renting a private track, and you got to always have one eye pointing two different directions to make sure some kid's not out in a fence somewhere staring at the thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm often surprised at how well we keep some of this stuff secret. So, so you were there uh, when this four-stroke project came of age. This is like mid-90s we're talking about here. How yeah, about 96. For how cobbled together was it? Year. How cobbled together was that? Well, the early one was, it was crazy looking because, you know, the center cases were all billet cut out of a chunk of aluminum. And, you know, the early cylinders were sand cast, but you could tell it was a full-on handmade machine. The frame was painted black. Every bit of plastic was not plastic. It was all fiberglass, and it, it was a very strange-looking machine. And... I was as skeptical as anybody else when we first got it. I'm looking at it going, oh, in my mind was, oh, modified XR400. You know, I'm thinking of Spud Walters riding some. Yeah, yeah. Got a twin head pipe goofy thing that, you know, shouldn't be ridden at that speed. But, you know, and the first ones weren't great. But 
we had it early enough and we just kept improving and improving and you know as you saw that thing was a, a revolutionary motorcycle and this, this and, might be a you know, little I was one of the few guys that was this, involved guys. with that I said this might be a little off topic but, but let me ask you I mean when you rode those first few and they weren't that good um, you know there's some people now there's a, a band of two-stroke faithful that still suggest that you know the two two strokes shouldn't have gone away i mean at one point were you guys like ah maybe maybe we should scrap this idea or i mean was it there was no turning well, back once they built that first one or with you the, see the potential and you know, what happened they, there they have this conviction when they going to put a project forward they they go all the way with it you know and then three years later they go man that was a bad idea <laughs> we didn't sell any of those you know there's lots of examples out there but you know with that it it showed some promise as kind of you know rough of a, a version we got it still had some promise you know very good rear wheel traction easy to control throttle wise you know front wheel stuck because of the engine uh, the uh, compression, engine compression, braking, and you know, there's just a few things. I'm like, wow, this thing's really cool. Just you need to make it faster and lighter, <laughs> and that was yeah. always kind of the push. And but it, it never got to that point where they considered ever just stopping the project. So that was the good news. But you know, I think that they had this. Uh, and I don't know if you know the story of the original fire. So, YC400, but, you know, Nakayama, this is the very passionate guy that did this off time. This guy designed this whole thing practically in his garage on his laptop, just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, and finally sold it to the company that, hey, this is going to be a viable product and and project, and then they got behind it, and, and it went from there. But, yeah, it was a very, very brave move from Mr. Nakayama. Well, that hits on another thing, then. So there's this strange interplay between you a rider in California and some engineers who maybe don't ride. So they, they have engineering degrees, but they don't ride. You might not have the engineering degree, but you do ride. What happens when worlds collide there like that? Well, you know, I could bore you with lots of long-winded stories, <laughs> but at the end of the day, we, it took a lot of years, won them over because there were some decisions made that were more based on engineering standpoint mm -hmm. that, you know, caused a lot of friction, and there was, you know, angry emails and things that 20 years ago, I guess email didn't exist then, but um, then it we through a lot of work and just a lot of trial and error and proof and this and learning to the next year of the next model, and they started to really have a lot of confidence in the testing staff to where if A looked good on paper, but B was chosen by the test riders, we would get B. You know, where there was a time that they would pick A because I designed A and A is the way it's got to be. Uh -huh. So, you know, that was a long, long process. But again, you've got to have those key guys in place. You know, all the companies have some pretty good guys. You know, some may be better than others. Some communication with engineers may be better than others. You know, there's a lot of components in there that people don't recognize of how it all comes to be and you get a motorcycle on your showroom floor so those uh those worlds have collided in, in <laughs> ugly ways another strange thing is if you're doing production bikes you have to somehow design a bike not for yourself as a racer you are coming up with the best bike for you to ride but you have to think like a 30 year old b rider in tennessee at times do you have to role play that a little bit well, you know, that's what I alluded to about, you know, it's not always the fastest lap time is what gets chosen because there are times that, oh, yeah, I like those forks, but, you know, the Tennessee B rider, three-year-old B rider, they yeah. would, you know, make his hands go numb. So, yeah, they, you do have that component in there, and that's why you do have other level test riders as well, but you, again, through being in those environments and those situations many, many times again, you start to learn yeah, you know, I'll even say that before anyone. I think it's going to be a little too stiff for production, or this is a little bit too aggressive of a cam, or whatever for production. And and then those things get settled upon many opinions. You know, other staff, you know, Japan staff, and you know, Europe has some involvement. You know, we all kind of come up, and and there are times that another country gets a different spec, and those are proof that yeah, that 
country and their test rider and that staff has enough influence for them to warrant building X amount in a different production than what you know the U.S. would get. Now, how much a factor is stuff? I mean, like any project, I would think time and budget has to be a factor. I mean, can you always get what you want, or are there times where like we don't have time, or we don't have the resources, or we don't have the technology to even make that happen? Sorry, guys, does that happen? Yeah, you know, that opens up a whole new discussion. <laughs> you're going to keep me on the phone for like three hours today, aren't you? Um, I know you're good. Because that is certainly, and, and yeah, I'm just picking on you because I'll talk for three hours. I, I know you I, can I, handle I, it, I right? <laughs> but those are huge components that a lot of people don't recognize. They want, and this was, you know, kind of disc brakes and four-stroke bikes and, you know, cartridge forks. I mean, it's just gone on and on. I could go on and on for hours, but those things are those dividing points. Does this customer, is he going to warrant a $200 additional retail, but he's going to get this? And then, well, you know, this is the price point in this current environment, so you can't have that. You know, we would struggle. I remember uh, we picked on the engineers for years after that. It was probably... 15 years ago, YZ came with a blue front number plate with a white sticker on it. And then the following year, it still had the blue front number plate, but there was no white front sticker, you know, no contact to make it look like a real number plate. It was just this blue number plate. Mm -hmm. And we said, why on earth? We had to look so bad on the showroom floor and this and that. And we got this whole long-winded story of, you know, to get some better quality bearing in the shift drum and something or other else, we had to eliminate something. And, uh, you know, it was a couple things, but that was one of the things that got eliminated. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, could I have just, you know, worked for free one day and you could have put, you know, a, a two-cent sticker on a thousand bikes? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It was, yeah, so you, those things do exist. Yeah. And, and then you... Go ahead. go ahead. No, no, you, you go ahead. I was going to say well, that. Well, I just say, yeah. and then you talk mm -hmm. about timelines. You know, all these things are so far ahead, but the, you, we always have these lines in the sand. So it's like you, you've got to decide on that valving by this day. And so those things come and go. Then all of a sudden, you, you may find a better setting later, suspension-wise or, you know, carburation or, you know, whatever it was, but it's too late. Now that becomes the next-year model. So then you'll get beat up. Well, gosh, you know, how come this is this way? And, and then we've got an instant fix. Well, <laughs> that, that fix got discovered after that timeline came and went. And that makes and then, sense. And that, that brings up a great point, Doug. I think this is something we talked about last time is, you know, we've, we've had bikes um, that have come out, and, and I've talked to test riders like um, Chris Wheeler at Suzuki or, you know, Jeremy, who, who did a lot of Honda testing uh, on the 09450 and some other guys, and <clears throat> there'll be issues with those bikes. I'm like, man, what, you know, what happened? Was that thing, how is it so off? You know, how is something so off? And they're like, you know, I don't know. When, we, when it left here, it was good. You know, it was awesome. It was like this killer bike. And Rich Taylor has told me stories of this too, where they've had they would send a bike off, and it was awesome. And then what they get back when it comes out in production is not the same. So maybe maybe it's some of that timeline and some of that you know where the cutoff yeah, date for few, convention few setting was here, and they got this better setting here. Yeah, and there is a few things that happen that can cause that, and. You know, sometimes you send something away, and in durability, it failed. So, you know, a frame cracked or a clutch plate, you know, something didn't happen or didn't make their minimum requirement. So then a change gets made, and then somebody outside the U.S. loop makes a decision that, yeah, it's still the same, but we had to change this to protect that or whatever. And then you get it back, and you're like, oh, wow, you know, that big welded plate down the side of the frame did have some effect on the handling <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah, I'm not <clears throat> picking on anyone individually because, you know, we've all had those years where we get something back. Maybe the valving didn't last their X amount of hours, so they had to, instead of putting three, you know, 10,000 shims, they had to put two 15,000 shims or, you know, whatever it is that all of a sudden it's the same, you know. <laughs> Steve Butler and I had this old joke that uh, the one Japanese was trying to explain these brakes to us. 
and we're going, this break, bad, this break, good. No, same, 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 same. He just kept saying, same, same, pointing at these two breaks, and we're like, they're not the same. I'll tell you, and then we finally got the story. Oh, yeah, this this pad and some problem with it, chunking or something, and then we had to change the pad, but, you know, but it's, a pad, it's the same, same, same. <laughs> no, that one sucks, no. and this one doesn't. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are those things that happen, and they're, you know, beyond our control at certain times, and, you know, they often try and get fixed the next year or whatever, unless they bought 10 million of them, then it's three years later that things get fixed. But, you know, they, there are so many, and that's a, I can remember looking at a bike, and I think it was the first 250F, and I had started my uh, company, DRD, and while I was building exhaust, and I'm going, wow, you know, this is just a couple of tubes and some welding, and, you know, this is really involved, and I was, like, really overwhelmed at how intense and how many pieces to make an exhaust pipe, and I remember seeing this, this bike all handmade, all laid over, and they were taking this whole clutch apart, and we were doing a bunch of work, and I'm just going, my goodness, how do they ever get one of these to the showroom floor? Because with all the parts in it, yeah. <laughs> the parts in it and everything we've been talking about so far of rigidity, balance, and making it through a durability and then performance and life of that part and fitment, uh, you know, and budgets and timelines. I'm like, I've just got to shake everyone's hand standing around me going, <laughs> you guys are great. <laughs> because you don't understand everything that goes into those things and then you go well i need this and you know when you all of a sudden fast forward to some customer why didn't they do this yeah. and you go oh man <laughs> if you only had one little clue of what it took to get that in your hands on the showroom floor for 5900 bucks you would thank everyone that you know was <laughs> on that project so yeah, and, and, you know, it's easy to complain about the price of bikes. I mean, it, it certainly has climbed, but w when you consider all of the parts, all of the development, everything that goes into making these bikes, like you're saying, it's really not that outrageous. I mean, look at a bicycle, you know, a, a full suspension bicycle is five, six grand. So think of, yeah. you know, all this additional testing and part testing, everything else you're getting here for not much more well ping what i was going to ask you is also that uh you know you have a race team that's competing at the very very upper level of racing and how far do you even have to take a production bike to make it competitive at that level that's not something you can do in most other motorsports they're close yeah i mean we, you know we, we obviously we massage everything that we can but um at the end of the day it's not it's not that different you know it's it's a production frame, swing arm. Um, we're using production heads, you know, just pour it a little bit. You know, it's 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 a lot of production parts. So um, that that says a lot about how good these bikes are being manufactured these days, for sure. Because you certainly couldn't take a Chevy Monte Carlo out and <laughs> sign up for Daytona with a you know no. a, you know Flowmaster exhaust on and sign up. <laughs> You know. Put some Hoosier tires on it and go get them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, Doug, I was going to ask about, you mentioned lap times earlier. Um, are there times when something seems like it's much better and then you come in and it's actually slower and you surprise yourself? Talk about that balance. Yeah. You know, we've tried to steer away from too much just general lap times. You know, we'll do isolated tests with, you know, radar guns down a start, and we'll do some things that are a little more controlled because just like what we talked about earlier, the tracks are changing, and you, know, you can start to give these guys some basis to debate you in a final meeting. Oh, but, you know, we had this lap time with this mm -hmm. spec. We're like, yeah, that was 9 o'clock in the morning when the track was oh. great. The bike was actually better at 3.30 in the afternoon, but the lap time's not going to reflect there. So you've got to be careful because you can kind of paint yourself into a corner if you rely too much on, on any individual thing, you know. So it's all got to be a you know, this compilation uh, of everything. And, you know, and often those final meetings do get a little bit heated because they want something and then they're going to try and support that with what they can. And then at the end of the day, you know, you just got to stick to your guns and say, this is the best setting. This is what we're asking for. And and we're the ones buying 10,000 of those, so please, do as we ask. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you have a story last time about Damon Bradshaw on the lap times and, and what he thought would be best and things like that? 
<clears throat> yeah, you know, that was a, a funny sort of way all that came about. You know, he always wanted fast stuff. He thought the fast thing was the best. And, and everyone down there, you know, Bob Oliver, good friend of mine, I've known the guy 100 years, a great engine builder. He was always building the faster, better mousetrap. And then through, I can't remember the exact year, somewhere in the early 90s, Honda had a very, very good character to their 252 stroke. And we're going, man, this is great. This is what we want our production to be, production bike to be like. There's no way, you know, that thing's only making 52 horsepower. Ours is making, you know, 9,000. And, <laughs> and so we got into this big debate of, okay, what is good? What is bad? What is usable? What's not? And, you know, let's really start to break this down and understand what, what do we want? And even the highest level guy, a Bradshaw down to this 30-year-old B rider in Tennessee. And, <laughs> and we've got to understand where the emphasis should be. And so that was a little exercise we did through a lot of fighting that Damon rode the thing on the Supercross track. And he's going, you know, we didn't give him any information because that's always the best way is blindfold him if you have to. But he's going, this thing makes way more power than my bike everywhere. I can turn here and jump this jump easier than blah, 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 blah. And, and it was a big learning experience for everyone because... You know, the, the 62 horsepower engine versus the 53 horsepower engine, the 53 horsepower engine felt faster in many ways. So, uh -huh. you know, those are some interesting discoveries along the way. And, you know, that was a lot of years ago. And nowadays we do have data acquisition systems where we're riding with computers on the bike and you say, I like this right here. And there's a trigger on the handlebar and you just hit the trigger and it draws a line down through engine speed, the, uh, the air fuel mixture, the rear wheel speed, you know, what gear you're in, what throttle position you're at. And now all of a sudden we can start to use some of that to help support what we're feeling out there on the track. Ah. And finally, what's your best uh, tale of actually noticing something very, very small? What did you say that you could feel a a, a pee under a pillow or something? Is that what they used to say about <laughs> well, you? That was John R., yeah. our, our suspension guy. Yeah, he used to t say that I could feel a pee under a mattress. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, but, you know, there were those times that I would be amazed at, yeah, I could feel this and feel that, but... It's you kind of get into it, and you're all in tune with exactly how it is, and you just stay focused all the day and whatnot. But yeah, I think the story I shared was yep. only a few grams and a piston pin on a YZ252 stroke. And <laughs> the, I just said, oh no, it's just this. And I kept saying, hey, no, this thing's not as good, and this and that. And it was one of those same, 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 same mm -hmm. sort of a situations are going, oh, okay, for durability, we had to add, you know, 10 grams to the piston pin or whatever it was and i'm going well you got to take that 10 grams away somewhere else because that is not as good as this and they were all like scratching their head like how'd that guy feel that that's just strange 10 grams <laughs> yeah but you know at john r i was always the diehard you know the my other teammates would be long gone out at deanza our original supercross track and i'd be there until the sun went down because uh, it's just my personality and mm -hmm. so he used to always say that that man you know, I just did the slightest little thing, and you can feel it every time. And so that's how I got that little <laughs> nickname of being able to feel a pee under a mattress. Is that something that you can uh, teach people, uh, or maybe not quite to your level, uh, or, or are some riders just never going to get it as far as feeling that stuff on a bike? Or is there things that you can actually point out if they focus on it? Well, I think you can help get them there, you know, just through some technique or even just explaining to them what you're after and, hey, let's try not to think about this, this, and this. We're really trying to concentrate on that. There are techniques that you can teach them and take them a long ways, but I think, you know, there just is that understanding. You're going to get a guy that's got a better understanding mechanically of what's going on and has that ability to tie it into a, a communication skill to get that information back to the engineer or into a report or what whatever vehicle you're trying to, to transfer it. Gotcha. They ever uh, they ever put you on anything else besides motocross bikes? You ever uh, ride ATVs or street bikes or anything like that? Did yeah, you know, I did some ATV stuff when yeah. Yamaha did that YFZ the first year. Uh, you know, that was pretty aggressive mm -hmm. sport ATV. So I did some of that. You know, I, I didn't have as strong a thumb as some others. Cause <laughs> I kept saying, can you put a twist throttle on it for yeah. me? But, 
no, I, I've done some of that and very little street stuff. I've only really done some uh, break-in and some very limited street stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, we've done WRs where we've gone out and Gorman in the hills and whatnot and, you know, tried to get those things tuned in with a certain amount of flywheel weight for ease of riding or, you know, plushness of suspension, things that, you know, that customer expects from that kind of a model. So, yeah, I've kind of been there, done a lot. We did, you know, like the play bike stuff, all that TTR line that Yamaha released. Mm-hmm. I can remember being in Japan riding those things just cracking up because it just became a big pit race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were all just cleaning each other out, and the Japanese were getting mad. We were bending them all up. So. But that's actually that's their intended use. You actually probably do need to test them because that's how people ride those. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can a six-foot adult fit on a 50cc bike? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Ping, you have anything else uh, we need to... You, you're curious about with Doug. I know you guys go pretty far back, so you probably already have the answers to your questions. <laughs> no, I mean, he he's kind of... Uh, just hit the nail on the head here with, with production testing. You know, there's uh, we could sit here and talk to him all day, and he'd tell us stories. But this is this is the guy to talk to if you got questions. I, I think he did a pretty good job of summing it up. Thanks. Well, thanks for the time, Doug. I know that. Uh, well, let me guess. You got to get back to the business of probably testing exhaust systems, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm actually when I came to the phone was getting ready to load a bike and head out to Milestone. I got a couple things. Jeez that I'm going to go do, but it's one of those uh, hazards of the, the, the whatever in the line of duty here. I've got to get out there. and Plus, I've got a Loretta's qualifier coming up, so I've got to get out and run some laps. Oh, You know, you know, you know why he's such a good tester, right? He, he, he does the uh, method testing act. Uh, he actually becomes that 30-year-old B-rider <laughs> from Tennessee. Talks with an accent all the way up to the track. <laughs> chew, has some chew. Peels out as he goes to the track like he is that guy. That's right. I wear my gear into the you know Del Taco to get <laughs> <laughs> with sneakers on. Oh, yeah, good. yeah, that's right. That's right. Wear my hat crooked. Well, have fun out there, Doug, and uh, I guess good luck defending that number one plate at Loretta's in a few months. Yeah, well, thank you, Jason, and you know it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Anytime you got any questions, especially if we're talking about dirt bikes and testing, <laughs> give me a call. Uh, I'll spend the whole day on the phone. Yeah, d- thanks, thanks be, Doug. Thanks, and be careful. Don't don't tell us that because we might have to do this a third time. So, don't be so yeah, nice yeah, about exactly. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I should be careful what I wish for. Yeah. Right. Have a good right, day. Guys. Well, hopefully thanks. we got it all down this time, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you. We'll see you around. Thanks. All right. All right. All right goodbye. All right, that's Doug Dubach. Um, now, Ping, I know you go way back with Doug, so I know you have a Doug story that you really, really want to get out there, and it's something everybody wants to hear because it's your style go ahead yeah well it's you know everything comes back to poo which I, of course like kevin bacon you know like it all <laughs> has something to do with it so back in 1994 uh randy lawrence i hired him as my mechanic mm-hmm. and years before he had worked for doug at factory yamaha in fact when doug won his supercross at san jose randy had worked for him well when doug kind of moved to the testing side randy was let go because they didn't have a spot for him and that's when i hired him so mm-hmm. I came out here, was living with Randy that first year, and uh, he and Doug were still good buddies, so we all went mountain biking one day. And, I mean, he was literally one of the first guys I met out here when, when I moved out to California. Uh-huh. Um, he's in great shape, still is, you know, but at the time he was fresh off his pro racing career, so he was really fit. And we did this long mountain bike ride called the San Juan Trail. Yep. It's a two-hour climb. You climb forever. So 10 minutes into this climb, uh, now I'm about to have a heart attack, and Doug's gone. He's just <laughs> totally taken off. Randy's hanging there with me because he doesn't want to just leave me. So we get about 30 minutes up the thing, and I, uh, I see him, you know, kind of off in the distance across on a ridge, just standing there doing something. I'm like, oh, he's waiting for us. That's cool. And I get up there, and he's pulling his, pulling his pants up, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? I roll up. There's just a huge pile of duty sitting there. He had just squatted down. <laughs> Did himself a little business and, uh, you know, lightened the load while he was waiting for us. A little Ooh. sock off to the side. He'd sacrificed the sock. Oh. <laughs> so this is, this is the first real memory I have of Dr. D. I, I always I remind him of this at least every couple of years. I go, man, you remember when you crapped in the middle of the trail? <laughs> there's your tire testing there, right on, right on the trail. How does it hook up on that stuff? 
Yeah. How how does this tire transition from hard pack to mud? <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. He's always thinking testing. I guess. That's all. <laughs> yeah, and it affects the suspension too. The lightening of the load. <laughs> um. And wait, out of the three of you, you were the one that was the professional racer at the time? Uh, well, I was just starting. Yeah, I was my second year into racing, and Doug had just retired. So right, but they were still they were still pretty darn fit. <laughs> oh yeah, they no, they were both of those guys could outride me on a bicycle. They probably still could. Be totally honest with you. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that now. Not your deal. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to try to track down um, someone on the racing side of it next time. Probably uh, Jeremy McGrath, who I know does a lot of work, even on the Honda end, so you've seen him out there at the test track. Uh, from your experience, the production and the racing side, there's got to be a pretty big difference there. You know, there, there is a big difference. Um, a lot of the stuff, like Doug made mention of, you know, when you're doing the production testing, you can't, you, ne- you don't necessarily want to go out and be riding at 100%. Yep. Because it's going to be a long day, and really, if you're doing a, you know, two-minute lap time or a 204, mm-hmm. that doesn't really matter for, for the purposes of, developing a production motorcycle but that's that's not true on the racing side of things if you're not testing your bike at the speed you're going to be racing it Mm -hmm. you're wasting your time i mean it's not going to work the same you might if you're riding at 90 percent and get it to work good when you get to the race and go you know that extra 10 percent it's not going to work the same so there's definitely a big difference Um, the production side has a lot of endurance testing where you'll put hours and hours and hours on a bike Mm -hmm. um and uh the race team stuff is um you know typically you only do a few laps at a time come in with a better worse you know make another change two or three more laps so it's it's a lot more fine-tuning i think okay that's going to do it for this show we hope that we taught you something as you listen to the racer x podcast that's the goal Next time, we'll get in-depth with race testing, so we hope you can tune in. For everyone here at RacerX Online, RacerX Illustrated, thanks for listening.